grab your favorite beverage, kick up your feet as you ascend with me into the joy portal of soul reflections, fresh perspectives, fun ideas, and wisdom. Light to light and heart to heart. Smile and breathe even deeper as together we will soar above the perception of all hurdles and shine brightly as the light we are. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Light Laughter and Lattes. My name is Jerry Hapstreet. I'm an Avesa Quantum Healer, Medical Intuitive, Self Ascension Intuitive Counselor, and glad to be here with everyone today. So, welcome to everyone who's listening at Oneness Talk Radio on Oneness Talk Radio Facebook or YouTube. Glad to have you here. The chat is open, so you are. Welcome to jump in and say hi um, and just let me know you're out there listening. That would be awesome. And for those of you who are listening via podcast, hello to you as well. And if you want to watch this live, come on Wednesdays at 3 o'clock Pacific time on Oneness Talk Radio Facebook or YouTube, and you can be here live. And so today I also have the call board open, so you are welcome to call in as well because I have a great guest that you may want to ask some questions to. And so um, so welcome back. It's good to be back here. I was gone for a couple of weeks in Ecuador doing some much-needed self-care and some personal healing and actually very timely for what our show is about today. Um, so I was gone, but um, I Trust you watched one of the shows, I believe, with my co-host, Patty Peterson, on Conscious Dating. And so um, I'm happy to be back with you all. And today, so today's topic, I have a, um, a guest with me today. His name is Lee Tomlinson. He has got quite a professional background, um, having a, a studio, um, a professional tennis player, He's now an author of a book, amongst many things, and I'll have him share this all with you. But he is a product of a healthcare system that is right now screaming for compassion. Um, probably all along, it's been screaming for compassion, but even more so now with the more stress of people using the hospitals and all that's going on. I think we are in a society now of just more stress. And he's had firsthand experience of this system. And as a result, he's tried to turn it around and do something good. And he wrote a book called Compassion Heals, um, From Self-Care to Healthcare. And so I'm going to invite in Lee right now. Hi, Lee. Hey, good to see you. <laughs> it's great to see you. And I, and I love that you wrote this book. And the timing is, is so, so on spot. And um, and I don't know if you're um, so aware of maybe the, the spiritual community or self ascension community, but one of the key one of the key ingredients to lifting in consciousness is compassion. That's like step one, compassion towards the self. And so this is what you're all about right now. So sh share with us a little bit about your background and what inspired you to write this book. Well, uh, thank you. First of all, it's great to be here. And, and given my medical history, uh, it's great to be anywhere. Um, uh, I um, 
have led an extraordinary life. I've, as you said, I've been a professional tennis player, um, uh, raised tens of millions of dollars for a major not-for-profit, award-winning television producer, movie studio owner and developer. Um, and so I've done a lot of cool stuff in my life. Uh, on June 23rd, 2012, I went into my ENT for a routine allergy test. Uh-oh, I think we lost Lee for a minute. We'll bring him back. There he is. Okay. Well, you lose You're back. Me? Okay. Just for uh, a second. <laughs> I, I felt a little funny there. Maybe I went to another dimension. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I went into my ENT for some allergy medicine so that I could play in the state uh, golf championships and came out three hours later with a diagnosis of stage three, stage four throat cancer that had spread to some lymph nodes. I spent the next uh, 10 months in uh, the most grueling experience ever. Um, they, I started chemo the next day, um, and their original plan for me was surgery first, then chemo, then radiation. The problem was that uh, if I allow, had allowed that, they would have had to take out my tongue. Now, I don't know about you. But uh, in every business I've ever been in, not being able to speak, and at my age, I was 60-something then, um, without being able to speak, I, I couldn't imagine how I could survive. So I said, guys, that's not an option. If that happens, I'm already dead. Um, what's option two? And they said, well, we, we sort of don't have an option two. That's our recommendation. I said, good, figure out something. They said, well, all right, we're going to give you as much chemo and radiation as we humanly possibly can. And if you survive that, Maybe we can avoid um, taking out your tongue. So I spent 10 months uh, with three months of chemo followed by 35 straight days of radiation, at the very end of which I was hospitalized with a very, very, very severe infection because I had no immune system after the chemo and radiation. So here I am in the hospital, dying of cancer, um, not being able to work, running up huge medical bills. I can't speak for you, but... When I'm in a hospital, I'm not the most wonderful person in the world and, or, or being treated. So I was jeopardizing my 30-year marriage. My life was a mess. Couldn't have been worse and in extreme pain. And so I go into this hospital, and if ever there was a time when I could have used just the tiniest little bit of human kindness, it was there, and I got zero. Absolutely zero. I got the polar opposite. They were so mean, so impersonal, so unkind, so uncaring, so lacking in what I was later told was compassion that I literally decided if these people in whose hands I had placed my life think so little of me, they must be right. And the world would be a better place without me. So I began to plan my suicide uh, using the fentanyl patches I had in unlimited quantities. Problem was... Didn't know how many. Put too many on. It's a suicide. And you can't collect. You know, I wanted to leave my family with this gigantic uh, insurance policy that I had from the studio. So a day after I got out of the hospital, a very good doctor friend came uh, just to say hi. And I was able to barely croak out the experience I'd had in that hospital and how depressed I was. And he stopped me, put his hand on my hand and said, Lee, I am so sorry. Please let me apologize for the compassion you didn't get 
while you're in that hospital. I don't know about you, but I had never spent a whole lot of time thinking about the word compassion. I mean, I was raised as a kid to, you know, treat everybody like you'd like to be treated. But, you know, compassion never came up. And he said, but, you know, the lack of compassion in healthcare is absolutely essential that you treat people competently and with compassion for the best outcomes. Simple. He said, but half of all the patients in America say they receive zero compassion while being treated. So they're not getting everything they need for the best possible outcome. He said, how about this? Rather than giving up and giving in, how about you fight? And if you succeed, start a movement or something and see if you can't be influential in bringing the mandatory healing power of compassion back to healthcare. And it was his apology, his respect, his kindness, his belief in me, and his suggestion that I could actually make a difference that gave me the will to fight and live and found what we now call the Compassion Heals Movement, whose intention it is is to bring compassion back to healthcare and the world. So long answer, short question, but that's how I gave up all of my Mostly, I'll tell you about one part that I've gone back to, my entertainment industry, ethic industry um, background, and moved to the most rewarding work I do, which is meeting with healthcare professionals and others around the world to remind them of the necessity of compassion and the necessity of taking care of themselves so that they can be healthy enough to be compassionate when we patients need it the most. So I, I, I've got a number of questions that's that's passing through my consciousness here as we're talking. So, um, please, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, so I'm a medical intuitive as well, of course, and and so our throat is all about our truth. Are we living our truth? Are we expressing the truth of what we know we came here to do and be? Right. Yep. And so I, I'm watching all these things that you did, and then you had. It really an attack on your truth, right? Your throat, your throat. Um, and so you went through this experience and then your life flopped. So, you, I mean, flip-flopped around, turned around in another direction completely. And, and flopped. And flopped. <laughs> well, flopped and then turned around. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so, so how, how, was, how, how was your throat feel? Was, did it heal? What, ha- what was the result of, of your throat? Well, I mean, the bottom line is, is that A, I'm alive. B, I'm five years, no evidence of disease, which means I am statistically cured, which is miraculous. And I am doing work now that I'm absolutely positively, without doubt, convinced is my life work. And had I not gone through the cancer, there's no way I would have given up all of my entertainment industry experience, contacts, and all of that sort of stuff. I would still be doing that, which brings <clears throat> less than zero goodness into the world. So very soon after I was able to, I recovered my voice and learned how to speak again because I'd lost that ability um, and learned how to swallow, which I had also lost the ability to do because even swallowing saliva was like swallowing broken glass. Um, and I began to work on this, what is, what's the movement? How do you do it? What, what's my message? What, 
now that I've given 200 keynotes around the world, wrote a book on the subject, and I'm producing a documentary on the heart science and business of compassion. I am absolutely certain from my own being as well as those of the universe that this is what I was meant to do. This is what I was born to do. And while it was not a gift (laughs) to me or anybody else to get cancer and almost die from it, it was necessary to get me to a point where I could literally start from zero and pursue this uh, effort to bring compassion back to healthcare in the world with 100% of my being. So I'm lucky to be alive. I'm fortunate to be alive. I know why I went through that misery. It was worth every minute of horrible, worth every minute. I uh, don't wish it on anybody. It's a hard way to learn. Um, but doing this work gives me more joy, more purpose, more focus than anything I have ever done in my life. That, that's so good to hear. Um, so, no, I, it's funny because I just got a call yesterday from a client that I've worked with, and she basically shared with me something similar to what you're sharing with me now. Um, <clears throat> she, she just got a, a phone call telling her that she's got rheumatoid arthritis, and now she's a rock climber. So this is probably one of the worst things a rock climber could hear. And it was, she was standing in line like at the supermarket and she gets this call (laughs) and here, here's your diagnosis, you know? Mm -hmm. And and she was like, the same thing as you is there, is there no compassion? I mean, I almost passed out on the spot, (laughs) you know? So what do what do you think the, the, the answer is to help a system of people that are worked really worked, overworked, are stressed out, and probably they don't even know what they need to be more compassionate. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things, Um, and it's two sides. So you look at that number. 50% of Americans today say they receive zero compassion in healthcare. Two things contribute to that fact, and that's a very sad fact, and it's it's literally life-threatening. The power of compassion in healthcare has been scientifically proven to be immense. Not a theory, not a, you know, wish and a hope. Hard facts, reality. That's why the World Health Organization said it must, being treated in a compassionate environment and dealing effectively with a patient's mental, emotional, and spiritual needs must be integral to the best possible outcome. So with 50% missing it, what's the reasons? Two reasons. Number one, 60 plus percent of healthcare workers burn out. 60 plus percent. That's pre-COVID, which elevated those numbers astronomically. There are more healthcare worker suicides, um, uh, depression, uh, use of opioids, all of which is because of their extreme pain. Now, why are they in such extreme pain? Well, first of all, I don't know about you, but can you imagine going in every single day into a place where everybody who comes in is in pain or you're going to put them in pain? And you see lives damaged, you see bodies damaged, you see lives lost every single day, and yet you're expected to be highly competent and compassion through all of that. I don't know about you, 
I couldn't do that in a million years. So the very place they work is arguably one of the most stressful places on the face of the planet to live, work, um, and do your do your business. So that's hard enough. Secondly is, is that most healthcare professionals are so kind, so caring, and so giving by nature. That's what got them, the vast majority of them, into healthcare in the beginning. They see another's pain, and they want to do whatever they can do to relieve that pain. That they, they work and 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 forget to love themselves. And the simple truth about compassion is you have to look deep inside yourself. Find out what pains you and never, ever, ever take it out on a patient or anybody else. And the sad thing is, is that these people are so giving, they don't see, they don't look at themselves to say, oh, how am I doing health-wise? How am I doing emotionally? Because most of them are doing very poorly and don't do the necessary things to maintain their health. Secondly is, we're in a healthcare system, and this is not 100%, so Understand, I'm alive today because of doctors, nurses, hospitals, and all of that stuff. So I am infinitely grateful. However, too many of them are more interested in making money than they are devoting themselves entirely to healing. Now, as Mother Teresa said, no money, no mission. You need money to run a hospital, and they're very expensive businesses, very small margins. I get it. Having said that, if the goal is to make sure that your patients have the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, we need to have their health care providers healthy enough to be able to provide both. Mm-hmm. Problem is, if those systems are valuing, mo- valuing money more than uh, care for the patients and their people, you're going to have a burned out staff. And that's why those numbers are so high. We need to awaken healthcare workers to the absolute necessity of loving themselves first and impress and inspire the owners or the operators of those businesses we call healthcare to make sure that they put a priority on creating a compassionate environment that puts the well-being and health of their employees as high or even higher than that of patients. Mm -hmm. So that you've got both. You need healthy caregivers to have healthy patients. Mm -hmm. The system needs to support those people who are already deeply caring, but who they're losing because they're burning out. So those are the two reasons. we got to wake up those healthcare workers and say, guys, don't put patients first. Put you first. Get you healthy. Then worry about me. And you administrators, you're killing people. You're killing your staff. And if they survive and don't quit or commit suicide or turn to drugs, they will be incapable, burned out, which is defined as emotional numbness and unable to be compassionate, which you and I both know is essential to the best outcomes. So it's a long answer to a short question. It's a complicated situation. So what I do is travel around the world speaking to those healthcare individuals who are, who are online every day to remind them of the necessity of being compassionate with your patients, but first being compassionate with yourselves. And 
imploring the managers and the people who run those businesses to be as kind, caring, and compassionate with their people as they want their people to be with their patients. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I, I actually have a few friends that are doctors that um, when I speak with them, it's like part they're a product of a system that's kind of messed up where they would like to spend more time with their patients, but they can't. They're given, they can only spend so much time because we have to get people in and out. And so I think part of the problem is for some of them is the system that they're working under. And so it kind of restricts their ability to be more personable and more compassionate. And um, part of it as well, too, um, and you're talking about the environment, what they go to every day. And I know the overwhelming thing for me, in order for me to be really um, at my best, I need a good environment. I need a nice background. I need color. I need natural light. I need healthy food. I need, you know. You need a place to sit and rest and listen to music and relax. And Right. So does everybody. So does everybody. And I walk into most of the hospitals and maybe things have changed, but we've got the white walls. We've got the fluorescent lights. We've got, it's very stark. There's, um, I, I couldn't work in there you know, for more than a day or two, even if I was, my cup was full. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that is true. And that is changing. I mean, the, the makeup of hospitals are being designed now that we know the science. Uh, it's, it's a problem when you've got a hospital that's 100 years old. It's hard to upgrade and change. Having said that, um, facilities are doing that to make it more soothing, more comforting to patients and staff. But we need to have um, processes and procedures in place to ensure that healthcare workers can relax, can find a chair, can find a good meal, have the time to do it, and are encouraged to do it. And when they don't, be reminded by their superiors of the necessity of doing that. And if I may, let me just go back a little bit to what you said about your doctor friends. Compassion is not a function of time. It's not a function of the size of the gift. It is a common misconception to say, you know, I just don't have time to be compassionate. I've only got 17 minutes or nine minutes or whatever it is to see a patient or a friend or a colleague. Not enough time. Well, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Number one is there's a story of a fellow who wrote a suicide note. And on it, he said, I'm going to walk to the bridge and I'm going to jump unless one single person makes eye contact with me. That's how low his self-esteem was. If one person just glances in my direction, gives me a nod of the head, they found his body floating in the bay. He obviously didn't even get that little bit of kindness and compassion to recognize and acknowledge his existence. How long would it have taken for a complete stranger to look in his direction, give him a smile and a nod of the head? That's a nanosecond. That little connection would have saved his life. Let me tell you a different story, another one. In my talks, I show an actual uh, video done from a, helmet cam 
um, of a firefight in Fallujah. Our troops are surrounded by enemy troops and are being decimated. Men have already been killed, wounded, lying around, screaming. Um, and a, guy, a, a soldier gets shot in the neck. He goes down. A medic jumps up without a helmet on, runs over to this guy, grabs him, throws him on his shoulder, runs over to the evac helicopter, puts him inside. But before he lets him go, he gives him a kiss on the forehead. (laughs) Now, I ask you, what do you think that soldier felt when he felt that kiss? Because he was conscious. I promise you from the absolute certainty, he will remember that moment for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. Let me see. He carried me over, got me out of the line of fire, got me to the helicopter, didn't even wear a helmet, endangered his own life, and then had the presence of mind to give me a loving kiss on the forehead? Every time I think of that story, I get choked up. That's an example of how long compassion takes. And it can literally be life-saving. It's not the quantity of time. It's the quality and the expression of humanity between us. The expression can be learned. We are genetically bred to have compassion. We all have it. And the fact that there's so much violence going on in the world and burnout and anger and frustration, it's partially because we've been so separated as human beings during COVID. The only solution to that, scientifically proven, is kindness. Mm-hmm. It's kindness. Sounds simple? Well, just look at the statistics, look at the math, look at the science, look at all of that stuff, and you will find that a simple act of compassion can have immense life-saving impact on all aspects of your mind, body, and soul, as much as the actual act itself. And even better news is the exact same impact happens to the giver. So my psychologist friend tells his patients who are depressed, among other things, don't misunderstand me. Here's what I want you to do. For 30 days, I want you to do one kind act a day and write them down at the end of the evening. Just one. Big, small, open a door, help somebody with a bat, whatever it is. One a day. At the end of 30 days... They're less depressed. Why? Because when you give, it has so much positive impact on your immune system, your endorphins, um, pleasure-giving drugs that are released into your body, that you are healed as much as that person who is desperate for compassion. So long answer, short question. But it's an amazingly powerful medicine that if we just were to do it, and consciously intend it every single day, I promise you we could change the quality of life on the face of the planet. And except for the most hateful, in-pain people, we could change it into a much more beautiful, much more loving space than it is right now. No kidding. Scientifically proven. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, As soon as you give someone anything, you receive it back. 
whether it's a negative word and a sign of hate that comes back to you <laughs> or, or it's love that you're giving that comes back to you because we're all one and we, and we forget, we think we're separate and we project things at other people, but it, it comes back. <laughs> it, well, it does. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, genetically, they used to think that man survived the prehistoric age. Um, it was survival of the strongest the fittest, nothing could be further from the truth. It was survival of the nicest, the kindest, who could go to other people and say, um, hey, we're going to get eaten by a dinosaur here. Um, you've seen it happen. It's miserable. And you're going to want to go to sleep at some point, and so am I. Well, how about this? How about I watch you when you go to sleep? And how about when I go to sleep, you watch me? And together, maybe we can survive. That connection, that coming together under the basic guise of humanity, both humans would have dinosaurs, um, is how we were bred, how we are genetically, atomically created. So when we're separated like that, like we are now, it actually makes it worse. We need to find a way to come together. We need to find a way to connect as basic human beings. You know, I understand that people are racist, misogynistic, sexy, all of those horrible things. But we have to get to the point where we recognize each other's humanity and pain and be willing to do what we are naturally bred to do, which is to care about others and help relieve their pain. and in doing so, have them do the same for us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, are, are you are you familiar with Dr. Emoto's work on water? No. Okay, so he's he, he's not alive anymore, but he did quite extensive research on water, and he subjected water to all different kinds of frequencies. Like he took a glass of water and he would write the word love on it. Or you take a glass of water and write the word hate on it or peace on it or joy or whatever. Then he froze the water and then he took a microscope and looked at the crystals that were formed. And just the word love written on water had these beautiful crystals or he would subject it to music too. And then the words um, like hate or whatever on the water frozen, it was just these awful awful crystals that were created and he's got books on it and it's we're 80 percent water yes yes Yes. anytime we take the time to just love ourselves and it can just be a moment every day and 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 the compassion that and i do quite a bit of work with compassion that all my healing is all about that um The biggest thing is to let go of judgment because we are so good at judging ourselves. So good at identifying. And others. And others. <laughs> yep. And it's in starts. When you can stop judging yourself, you'll stop judging other people. Got to look yep. inside, find out yep. what pains you, and never take it out on others. That's the internal yep. journey. Kindness and compassion starts inside. And if you don't think you're worth it, you're not going to think anybody else is either. Right. So, you know, it is an internal journey to be able to be healthy enough to express it outwardly 
and get the joy of giving life to others rather than anger, frustration, and violence. I understand people who are deeply, deeply pained. You never find a person who's really happy in life in a mall shooting people, ever. These are, it's not excusable. But these are people who, if you look at the quality of their life and their experiences, are horrific. Are horrific. And they were so damaged starting at a very young age that they've gotten to a place where they're, you call it insane, you call it whatever, but it is a result of all of that misery they've experienced. And while it's not forgivable, if you're empathetic and can realize when I have terrible pain, I'm a jerk. Mm -hmm. When that person had terrible pain, they took it out on those people in the mall. That's why we have to look internally, find out what pains us, heal it, then we can be open to receiving and giving compassion, both of which benefit giver, receiver, and the world. I mean, it just sounds so simple. Yeah. But we don't commit to doing it. No. We're one itty-bitty, one itty-bitty time deck today. I you know. go outside the house, you don't even have to go outside the house. Call a friend you haven't called in five years and just say, hey, I was thinking about it. They're going to be, they're going to feel loved and seen. And so are you for the connection. You'll feel wonderful. Go outside again. Let somebody in the lane in front of you cut in front without beeping your horn. <laughs> Hard to do in California. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? They don't have to be, you don't have to buy somebody a house. You don't have to, you know, get their car repaired. You don't have to put the kids through college. Simple, kind acts. Oh, and listen to this other miracle. And again, these are all empirically proven. This is not opinion. They did a bunch of studies where, one of which, where they had a person on the New York turnpike pay for the person behind them. You know, in the you have to pay to get on, what do you call those, pay roads or something? Um, so the person would pay for themselves and pay for the person behind them. And what they found was the person behind them was so knocked out by that, he'd pay for the person behind him. And then that person would pay for And it would go on for hours and hours and hours. So not only is simple human kindness healing for the receiver and the giver, it's catching. So if I do kind acts, helps me, helps them, oh, they're likely to give it on to somebody else and then somebody else, and somebody else, and somebody else. So that little one-kind act has this sort of ripple effect Mm -hmm. that can literally save lives and improve the lives of dozens and hundreds and thousands of people just like that. Well, that's a world that I want to see. I want to see it turned around in that direction. Um, I think we've lost our focus a little bit with money and power and forgotten about what really matters and um, but your story, there was a story similar to that that just happened in Brainerd, Minnesota, a few months ago. Someone at the Dairy Queen there did a pay it forward. He just said, you know, I'm, I want to pay for the person behind me's meal. And I don't remember <laughs> how many people this went, but it went on for like three days. Like everyone that showed up there just kept paying, <laughs> paying see, it forward. That's that. But see, that's just so 
that's so deeply inspiring. I mean, and that's science now. It's proven. It is true. So people say, well, what, you know, what are we going to do? There's so much hate and vitriol and racism, sexism. What can one little person do? One kind act. One. It'll ripple out. Let's say you do it for a week. Just one week. We do. I do that with uh, healthcare professionals because <laughs> they're so busy. I challenge. I say, okay, we're going to call kindness. I mean, I say the compassion heals challenge. Seven days, seven kind acts. They have to go to my website, sign up, and every day they got to put down, open the door for somebody, um, help my partner with a bed in the e, whatever, whatever it is. Seven days. We get 30 or 40% of them, and I ask the ones that don't do it. So let me ask you, why? Oh, and if if they feel burned out themselves, they can give themselves seven days of gifts so they can start to heal themselves. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes is to break the habit of everything stinks, everything's good. Mm -hmm. You want to make a difference or you want to complain? If you want to make a difference, commit to one day, seven days, two weeks, a month, one single kind act a day. Who doesn't have time for that? Seriously, who doesn't have time for that? Yeah, and if, if you're in misery, give it to yourself. Give yourself those gifts. And I guarantee you at some point, you'll flip to the other side and you'll want to give it to others because that's your human nature. You've got to be healthy to do it. Yeah, you're reminding me of a practice that I sometimes give people to. It's to get little um, sticky notes and you write on the sticky notes, you know, thank you, I love you. And you hide them all over your house. You hide them, you know, in where the toothpaste is. You put them in your car. And every time you see one, you put your hand on your heart and you repeat that. It, yep. It's just an act of compassion to yourself. It's the way of breaking habits of um, yes. self-deprecation, judgment about yep. yourself. And ultimately, yep. the expression of that outwardly is judgment and hurt of others. That's right. Exactly. Um, and also you're reminding me, and I've talked about this before too, but there's a, I think it's called the Bamemba tribe in, I believe it's Africa. And anytime they would have someone that would act up in the tribe, as opposed to condemning that person or putting that person in jail or locking that person up, you know, something we would typically do. Or they killing put that, them. Or killing them. Yep. They would put that person in the center of the circle. Everyone would gather around that person and they would go around and say everything nice that they could think of that person. And they would say it, they would exhaust themselves until they would literally break the person in the center because that person just simply forgot who they really were. Yes, yes, yes. And, and was afraid that nobody else saw it. Right. That they were invisible to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that is the most destructive feeling on the face of the planet. That guy who walked to that bridge thought he had no value. Mm -hmm. Wasn't even sure if he was human because he couldn't connect. So if we don't value ourselves, we naturally think other people don't or won't if given the opportunity. So why bother? 
Well, that's not who we are. And again, that is a brilliant exercise. And there should be more group therapy like that, doing exactly <laughs> that. But you have your friends and family, and, and sometimes you have to do it for yourself. You know, I definitely spend time going, okay, today was a bad day. I didn't do this, didn't I? However, I was this, I was that, I was the other. I didn't do this, I didn't do that. That was a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Is to remind myself that who I am at the end of the day is a fine human being who cares a lot, still has a lot to learn, but is still growing, is still trying, and still improving. Not perfect. I haven't met many people who are perfect, <laughs> but better, more kind, caring, and compassionate every single day. That's my goal. The rest of it will take care of itself. That sounds great to me. It definitely <laughs> sounds great to me. I, I want to do a little shout out and say hi to Patricia and Pauline and Elizabeth. Thank you for joining in. Hey, and, everybody. And I also have, we have a call-in number if there's anyone who wants to call in and ask Lee or myself any questions, the call-in number. Um, and so I just wanted to touch touch base with some little details. Um, so Lee, what, what what's the feedback you're getting from healthcare workers on all this? Well, I, you know, again, the ones that are, um, I mean, again, let me make this very clear. The vast majority of healthcare workers are, whether it's the person who parks your car, whether it's somebody in accounts receivable, an RN, a doctor, it, it doesn't matter. The vast majority of them are compassionate and doing their level best to be more compassionate every single day, or at least compassionate enough to deliver it to every one of their patients and colleagues as well. That said, so many of them are burned out that <laughs> they're not able anymore. So we really need to love them, express our appreciation every time we see them for working where they work and doing what they do, and see if we can't... Um, when the opportunity presents itself, let people know when they've done a great job in a, in a larger way. Put it online. Just remind them. So most of them are already compassionate. We just need to remind them that they come first. Yeah. Are, are, um, your ideas about the compassionate acts, what kind of feedback are you getting from that, those that are taking the challenge? They love it. I mean, I've got, I've got, you know, thousands, no joke, thousands of emails from people saying, you know, I thought this was for them. <laughs> Almost all of them come back when I speak with them saying, you know, I bet it was great for the person who got it, but boy, it made me feel great. You know, I went to a food kitchen. All I did was put soup in bowls. But, geez, when I saw what that food did for those people, and I realized I was part of that effort to help feed them and their family and their kids who are sick, whatever, I felt better. I felt healthier. I felt more valued. So healthcare workers who are um, approaching burnout take the challenge to see if it will help. People who are already healthy take the challenge 
to be even more so. And people who are burned out, you know, we just have to accept that and hope that they get the message that they're valuable enough to get their own health back. And they're deeply hurting, not only themselves when they're burned out, because I was burned out when I got diagnosed with cancer. It's miserable. It's horrible. Um, but for those people that are burned out, you know, that their health and well-being matters, not just to them, but to everybody they work with and live with. It is a necessity. It is not an option for your health, my health, uh, or the health of your institution there on the bottom line. So it's very popular. The, the Compassion Challenge is very popular. And we're talking with a number of corporate um, possible sponsors to roll that program out nationally, to have a week um, in America or the world, but primarily America, which will be the Compassion Heals Week. It will ask people, implore people, inspire people for that one week, one kind act a day. So we're putting that together and a documentary which has the same purpose, to reveal all of the scientific facts about the healing powers of, comp- of compassion, um, what gets in the way, the institutional problems, the impact when it's not there as happening is very normal uh, or very uh, often experienced. So the response has been extremely popular, maybe not so much with the highest levels talking to them about putting dollars second. That's a harder conversation. <laughs> but, but we'll get there if the public and those healthcare workers all band together and say, we must change the operating principles of these organizations if what we want is the best outcome for both patient and provider so that everybody can enjoy better health. So um, that's my task. That's my purpose. That's my meaning. That's my purpose. Um, And uh, I intend to accomplish it before I leave this uh, mortal coil. (laughs) Well, I, you know, there's, I, I lived up way up north in Minnesota where one of, um, one of the first school shootings was at a long time ago and it was the Red Lake Indian Reservation. And mm. there was lots of stress with the teachers and the staff and, and you name it there. And they used to do, um, they used to do like self-care, self-care days once a month up there because I was one of the people that came in for this. And they would open the entire gymnasium and they would have energy healers, people mm. using the essential oils, foot massages, regular massages, reflexology, counselors. And the whole gym was filled with that. And the teachers and the students could all come in and it was just an entire day of self-care. And wow. yeah, they and they did this for once a month for for quite a while. I mean, I, I feel like there needs to be some kind of a model like that. Yeah. Yeah, there are. I mean, there are, let's be very clear. We're not, you know, we're not generalizing about everybody in healthcare. Let's be very clear. Right. Um, there are models like that. There are organizations, UCLA Health being one of them, where patient care is tracked, um, questioned, followed. 
very precisely to find out where did we succeed in being competent and compassionate? Where did we fail? And how do we fix where we failed? Are our people healthy? Are we doing everything we can do to keep them healthy? And while they're working, are their expressions and interactions with patients and colleagues, because again, hurt people hurt people. If I'm crappy to my colleague, guess what? Probably not going to take it out on a colleague, although they might. They're probably going to take it out on a patient. So it really is necessary to have both. And there are organizations that are absolute models. That's one. Mayo Clinic is another. Um, Sloan Kettering is another. There are many that highly value the expression of compassion for the health of the patients, the health of the um, uh, the colleagues that work there. And it's the best business strategy. You call it customer service. What's the number one um, determiner of a successful bit? Not the quality of their product. It's the service that they give. Well, guess what? Patient care is customer service. They are paying money. They are customers of that hospital. And what they'll remember most of anything is the best or the worst experience they had. Mm-hmm. Not the cutting, not the gas. <laughs> They don't want to forget that stuff. I mean, trust me, I do too. But if somebody was extraordinarily kind to me, I'll remember it the rest of my life. If somebody was extraordinarily mean to me, I'll remember it the rest of my life. And if they were extraordinarily mean to me, I'm fine at another hospital or doctor's office, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's bad business. So not only does it is it the right thing to do for the health of your patients and the health of your and well-being of your colleagues, it's the most solid, productive, profitable format for a business on the face of the planet. The kinder you are to your customers, the more likely they'll be loyal, they'll talk you up, they'll bring you other patients. That's good for business. So if you want to make money, I get it, no money, no mission. The way to do that most effectively is to be extraordinarily kind to your people who are then extraordinarily kind to your patients or customers. Well, I love your mission, Lee. I'm, I'm on board with more kindness and compassion, you know, in, in every industry, in every, <laughs> every place in this world. That's how we're going to yeah. change it. Well, it is. And if I, if I can just simply say, I, you know, we've been talking so much about healthcare, but let's be very clear, particularly during, look at all of the mothers who had to quit their jobs to be home with their kids to teach them. Look at the teachers who had to not be in contact with their kids and teach them. Look at the people who lost their jobs. Look at the people who are broke and about to be evicted. Look at the people, the 600,000 or 600 plus thousand people who died. Every person that died, they estimate that nine people are close enough to them to be grieving deeply. So when you add up all of that pain and suffering, is it any wonder that there's so much expression of it in a negative way in the universe? No. Right. The question is, what do you want to do? What do I want to do? What are we committed to do to change that? And all we can do is give kind 
acts and be compassionate to relieve that pain. Not excuse it, but to relieve it. That That's a beautiful ending, Lee. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't have ended it any better. It's perfect. Um, Thank you. And so I've got all your information in your link below for your book um, on YouTube. It'll be below on Facebook. I think it's above. Um, do you want to quickly say where they can find your book? Yeah, it's very complicated. It's called Compassion Heals from Self-Care to Healthcare. It's available on Amazon. Okay. Keep it simple. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lee. This was um, a pleasure to have you join me today. And I, I hope you are successful. I I can't express enough how much this world needs compassion right now. So super timely. And thank you so much for being here with me today. My pleasure. And to all your listeners, one kind act a day. That's all we want from you. One <laughs> a day. Thank you. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening in to Light Laughter and Lattes. It has been my honor and pleasure. Please visit jerryhab.wix.com and check out my services and my packages. I work with people in person and from a distance, and I also give free 15-minute consultations. And so until next week, may your week be filled with light, laughter, and a whole lot of love. Are you ready to make joy and well-being number one in your life? Are you ready to live the life you've always wanted to live? Then you have found the right place. Joyful Living, a Vesa Quantum Healing Center. Hi, my name is Jerry Habstreet, and I've been an Avesa Medical Intuitive, Quantum Healer, and Self-Ascension Intuitive Counselor for 10 years, and have mastered the many tools of Self-Ascension to assist you to live your best life ever. Are you needing assistance with emotional or physical healing? How about a medical intuitive scan, EFT or an Avesa chakra balance? Do you have repetitive issues that keep reappearing time after time? How about a cosmic life regression session? Are you wondering what your unique gifts are and wanting some deeper insight on your life? Or maybe you are getting ready to make some big decisions and you want guidance. How about an ascended numerology reading? Maybe you are unsure what you need. That's okay too. I offer free 15-minute consultations and can work with you in person or online. You can contact me by by going to the host page on the Oneness Talk Radio website and clicking on Jerry Habstreet. There you will find all my contact information. Wishing you great joy on your journey.